This is Andrew Monroe. Welcome to Drinking with Freelancers. Today I have the honor and pleasure to be sitting down to talk with Mary Hool. Hi, Mary. Hi. Honor and pleasure. No, no pressure. I can do it. Yes. But yeah, as we were talking about, it's been a while since we've, we've seen each other. Yeah. Let's be... Yeah, it's going to be... At least a year. Before the first lockdown, which would have been March of 2020. Yeah, I probably saw you on the last day before the lockdown that we could have possibly seen um, each other. Yeah. Well, it's really good to see you again. Or, and hear you. You too? Um, yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll start with, what are you drinking today? Oh, okay. Well, it's a little early for this drink, but I'm going for it anyway. You're, okay. You're worth it, frankly. And I actually, it's it's an interesting choice in that it's... Mm, not a mix so much it's actually this is a drink that I've discovered bartenders fall in love with me when I order this yeah they're like are you sure I'm like yeah and and they say I love you because it's just straight rye it's just well it's whiskey it's this one particularly is Crown Royal, which is not my favorite. I like Canadian Club, which is like always at the bar. I don't go to the bar very much, but the last couple times I have, and I'm I'm gonna add my ice oh, there we go. so you can hear it. Oh, that's really cool. And this is this is actually my favorite part of this drink. Is I'm not sure I'll even get around to drinking this because the joy of this <laughs> drink for me is the anticipation. Like I'll put the ice in and then I'll have to wait because I like it when it's a little bit colder and a little bit watered down. And then I get to sit in that anticipation for at least half an hour. And then I'll drink it and it gives me a little nice buzz. And then I'm done. Like this is like just the perfect drink. It's got zero carbs, which is why I came to love it because I have a back, a bad back. I have a very bad back. And I went to a specialist a year and a half ago. And he said, okay, so this doesn't look good. And he didn't say a lot of stuff. And I think that the thing that I heard him not say was, if you don't really take care of this issue, you'll be in a wheelchair when you're 70. And I just didn't really feel like being in a wheelchair when I'm 70. So I took everything he said. He said, just keep an eye on your weight. I never really worry too much about my weight. It goes up and down. I don't like, it's just like I can eat whatever I want and be a little bit chunky. That's fine with me. Until a doctor says, Maybe you need to watch that a little bit so that you're not in a wheelchair when you're 70. And he said, learn to love to swim. So I, not being an avid swimmer, I like other sports. I like to chase balls generally, but I, uh, I took up swimming and I have become an avid swimmer and it has done wonders for my back. And I also have lost a few pounds, just that makes me feel good and it makes me move easier. But one of the ways that I thought I would try to do that is to just cut down on carbs that works for my body it doesn't have a big cost for me emotionally I really like vegetables and proteins that's a it makes me happy so uh, then I had to figure out well if I'm gonna have a drink what am I gonna have and for a little while I went with straight tequila actually yeah and then I just I don't know found my way to rye and of course I like scotch I learned to like scotch as a 20 year old because I wanted to impress the boys frankly and I did that but honestly I don't even need a single malt I just like whiskey I like Canadian whiskey so that's what I drink it's not too expensive it brings me a little bit of joy and uh, it makes me look forward to well, the next to half hour Thanks, Andrew. What are, you look similar. What is got? What's going on there? I'm. I picked out me? a whiskey for today as well. Also, with a little bit of ice, especially because it is a little bit warm today. This, however, is bourbon. I have a glass of Maker's Mark, which is probably mm. one become one of my favorite bourbons for drinking neat or with ice, not mixed or anything fancy like that. But yeah, it's very easy to drink, and I will say that that I don't know what they it is precisely about it, but the aroma of Maker's Mark is just mm, really—it's just really? got a really 
just nice smell to it. And I think for me, it's become sort of like, that's what bourbon should smell like. So I, I haven't dabbled much in bourbon, so maybe I'll give it a shot. I'll start with Maker's, Maker's Mark, is that what you said? Maker, Maker's Mark. They, they're really recognizable because they, Maker's usually comes in these, I'd have to go and find, get the bottle, but um, these really small, narrow-necked bottles with a sort of a, a faux wax cap. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. actually made of plastic, but with a, and then basically under that is a cork that you take off. So it's very distinct and is very easy to sort of pick out <laughs> visually from, uh, from, a, from a line of bourbon. In the panic of the choice at the LCBO, you, it makes it easy. That's nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, I remember I'd had Maker's Mark a few times and I can't remember exactly when. Sometime during this pandemic, I acquired the bottle. <laughs> so when it came to sit down for this call today, I thought, oh, well, this is this is perfect. This is exactly what I need. We were on the same wavelength. Indeed. So yes, cheers. Cheers, indeed. I'm gonna still hold off. <laughs> yeah, it's just mmm, and it's nice and it's got a really sort of nice, warm feeling. I sort of yeah. like the top and the top of my mouth and like sort of the, the top and the back of my throat. And it's just, mm, it's it's very good. I would say very much the kind of drink that you want to drink in moderation. I imagine if I had that more often than I do wouldn't be such a fan but it's yeah for a very warm june afternoon it's perfect lovely so would you mind telling everybody what it is that you i would love to and at the same time five minutes before i logged into this call i realized i was gonna have to say what i do and i sent a little panic through me because it's really hard to it's funny because A lot of what I do is help people devise, find their messages, and then deliver them in ways that sound confident and engaged and human. And so it's not lost on me that there's an irony in the fact that I have a hard time describing what I do, describing my message to the world. And it evolved, it evolved significantly in the last month or two. So it's it's fun to talk about right now. Ultimately, for 25 years, the answer to that question was, I'm a speech pathologist. And you know that because I know your mom. And she was there on my very first job as a speech pathologist. So I was brand spanking new out of grad school from UBC and I went up north. I lived on a reserve. Your mom, you guys were in Terrace, right? Yep. In Northern British Columbia, for people listening that are not familiar with that geography, if you can find Vancouver on a map, go north a lot. <laughs> um, and Terrace, if you can find Prince Rupert, Terrace is, I suppose, inland. What, what is it? Was it like an hour or two by car? An hour and a half. It's been a long time. I haven't lived in Northern BC since was the 90s. Yeah, me neither. So, but I was a lot older, I think, than you when I lived there. And uh, that was my first job. And it was beautiful and heartbreaking. Um, as you can imagine, a job on a reserve would do. It Actually, we are in the middle of a story of Canada that is pretty tough to take, but not one that I'm not familiar with, and I'm sure you too, because there's such a rich representation of First Nations people in the northern cities where we were, mm-hmm. and for me, villages, and terraces, in fact, along the Highway of Tears. So there's hurt and sadness, but if you are living there, or if you've lived there, you also know the intense beauty and richness of that culture and that experience. So. That was my first job, and I met your mom there, and I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> some like snot-nosed white chick living on the reserve, but uh, gosh, it, it defined me in many ways. Then I went back to Vancouver. I'm still a speech pathologist, so I kept being a speech pathologist through these years, never quite fitting into the mold as a typical school-based or hospital-based speech pathologist, and I quickly pivoted into a world of called accent reduction, which I reject as a title now, but I call it accent clarity. Um, just helping people who've come to English from somewhere else and increasing their confidence so that they can step into conversations and presentations and speeches and share their 
experience and their expertise with with that confidence and and now I sort of through the years started adding in part of my skill set in that message that people were delivering and adding in this I mean I'm actually not a bad writer I'm actually a pretty good writer but that wasn't anything that I had honed in my life so um now I bring that into everything that I do as far as communication help and I see myself now less as a speech pathologist and more as somebody who I'm going to say expert we're not allowed to as speech pathologists but I'm going to say it here and with an expertise and maybe a specialty in communications so I don't see it necessarily as speech pathology which is more looking at the disease or disorder but I see it as well how would you say it it's mastery really of messaging and delivery so I don't know what I would call myself Andrew you name it what am I yeah you got me I'll admit that your <laughs> that your comment right at the start of like it's really hard to talk about yourself any of the other writers that I know that might be listening to this are probably going to go yeah we know exactly what that is because we spend our lives writing about other people and what they do and how amazing that is and the thing that we often all struggle with more than anything else is having to write about ourselves i love hearing that that's reassuring i love that thank you it's it's odd and also i find it's hard to do presentations on my i mean for me to do presentations is this meta experience of like okay well i have to present on this information that I have, but I'm also apparently really good at teaching presentation skills, so I better be really, really good at presenting the information on presentation skills. <laughs> it's a it's a bit of a mind band, we'll say. Um, so this is what I do. I am a communication specialist, we'll say, but I've come to it. So I also, on this journey that I've, that I've had in the last month two or two i created a venn diagram oh boy i know tell me more <laughs> okay andrew listen so basically human communication isn't let's say a dance we're gonna say a dance among three entities they are the speaker the listener and the message and the message could be a notion, it could be a concept. It's just, it's, it's the, it could be the thought, whatever. I don't like, it's, it's separate from the speaker and it's separate from the listener. And there's this dance among these three things. And my favorite, re uh, current favorite example is, you know the song, Your Song by Elton John? Come on. If you played it for me, I probably would. I admit that I am not, an Elton John aficionado. So if you if, if I heard it, I would probably recognize it immediately. You're gonna make me sing on your podcast? It's a little bit funny, this feeling inside. I'm not one of those who can easily hide. Da -da 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 -da. You can tell everybody. This is your song, right? It's a cheese ball song, Andrew. <laughs> but uh, here's here's the thing about that song. It's you, you'll know it if you heard him sing it. You'd recognize it right away. If uh, you know across generations, it's probably recognizable. At some point, people have it as their their song, as their couplehood. You know, those people have these their songs. But none of that's really. To the point, to the point is that he, I heard him in an interview one time say that that is the song that he feels is the perfect marriage of melody and lyrics. And I think that that's what I do. That's what's in the middle of those three entities of the, the listener, the speaker and the message where those all join together in the middle of that Venn diagram is that thing is that perfect combination where none is overpowering the other and they're just with you in that moment in that delivery in that concept that's what i try to do so i try to find that for each person within their communication challenge that they have whether it's a speech or a presentation or a conversation yeah you get into the ways that we speak and communicate 
that we don't necessarily really notice, things that we don't take, we take for granted because we don't think about them, um, about like pitch. Yes, it's a great example. Intonation and pitch are huge carriers of information. So what I think about when you say that is, it's very interesting. So I, I realize that what I do is on three levels. So there's this, like the communication, I'm gonna come at it from, uh, one of three levels depending on what that client needs so the basic level is essential like what is essential for this conversation or this interaction to happen so that you get what my message is right and so for accented speakers sometimes the clarity might not be there and so yeah as a speech pathologist that's what i look at is there something that's getting in the way of the message just simply getting from a to b is it intonation is it consonants or vowels um some there's some real voice things that can happen that are different between different languages most mostly things are pretty good there might be just little tweaks needed here and there mm. i mean i've spent so long doing that that i know exactly <laughs> what the issue is within three sentences right and so your mom would be the same it's like i remember when i first started out i couldn't i couldn't believe that these speech pathologists that i was working under could tell in a second that this kid had a, a problem with r or s or th or whatever it was and now that's just like i do that in my sleep but but the, but the part that i take into the professional world is what's essential for communication um is that taken care of great then let's move on to enhancement so enhancement might be like you, your example was to do with accented speakers, but this applies to native English speakers as much as it does to accented speakers. If you deliver your message without a bunch of different pitch patterns and just keep it kind of flat the whole time, then you know your listeners are going to lose interest. Like this isn't really that interesting to listen to. Like I'm almost in vocal fry. It's, yeah, it's a little bit fry, but it's mostly just gonna it's gonna get boring after a while. So yeah, I can do that. Um, I can sound a little bit disinterested or a little bit too cool for school, um, and that might be a thing that I do over time, and then it just becomes my habit, right? So if that becomes my habit, then it's going to be pretty hard to change it, right? And I might have decided this when I was 13 or 14. <laughs> I have 13 and 14 year olds in this house right now and this is absolutely how they talk and I'm just kind of my heart is breaking but there's nothing I can do about it right so <laughs> uh, so we make these choices and then uh, maybe someone like me comes along and says hey you know what you've got a whole bunch of other options like the human voice is 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 full of potential and there's it's like you know like the stupid fact that we use 10% of our brain like I feel like I feel like we use 10% of our voice so like let's find out what the full potential is and and have that in your toolbox if you need it in that moment to express that message and so that's the enhancement and then in the last couple years I've also gone into what I call um oh yeah enriched excellence maybe but enriched where I've done a bunch of work in storytelling so now I think storytelling and metaphor and you as a writer know this better than everyone that's where you know those those three circles of Venn diagram <laughs> that so let's just recap we've got the first one which was essential yeah the second one which was enriched it, or in no no enhancement so it's just getting a little bit better like it's just like really good right like just let, right. let, let's make everything a bit better and then the first one is enriched i but i'm i'm open to words right if you have any that that do that better no that make that makes sense yeah. it's is the message getting across is it are you using the full capacity of it and then I guess almost like what little bit extra could you yeah could you put in? yeah and that's where I think storytelling and metaphor and the art the art of language takes away those barriers between those three circles of communication like as soon as I go into a story you're not really thinking about how I'm delivering it you're not really thinking about where I'm headed you're just in there with me and there's something magical about that and I think that is the art of communication don't you? What do you think? I think that both myself and a lot of other writers would agree, and especially, I think, certainly marketing and the way that we present ourselves in, like, storytelling has almost has effectively become a buzzword mm -hmm. in a lot of marketing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I agree. It's too bad because I think it's going to get a bad rap pretty soon because to me, it's the magic. Yeah, it's 
the unfortunate thing of trying to communicate these ideas and like in the limitations of say of, yeah like a tweet or a short blog post is it becomes almost reductive we can tell there's hundreds of ways that we can tell stories but we nobody has interest certainly not in a business setting to learn of like these are all the different ways you could tell a story yeah, yeah. and so we tend to end up i find coming back to a couple of different ways of telling stories that are usually pretty reliable but after a while if you, if you yeah, it uh, it loses its appeal. And also I think that people then feel played, right? They feel manipulated. Like as soon as they hear this this oh, they're going into a story, right? It's just like, oh, you're you and I actually am incredibly uncomfortable telling a story twice. I, I get advice about this and people are like, tell that story. I'm like, well, you've heard it before. So I don't want to tell you a story that you've heard before. Because then, to me, that the, in the circles, the speaker-listener thing, there's, there's not, that's not a good connection for a speaker and listener. Because hmm. I'm not valuing your experience. I don't want to put you through the same experience twice, right? So that's, I, think, I find that hard. But I think that in marketing, <laughs> you want to do that. What's your, what's your business's story? Um, at the same time, there's so much that can be told in a story that sounds so much more genuine in a story concept rather than, like for me to say, I help people find their full, complete voice. Like that sounds super cheeseball to me. But if I, instead, I will tell you the story because it's actually an incredible one. One of the first workshops I did early on in my career was on laryngeal massage and manipulation. So if you've ever had a massage, they probably didn't really spend a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. On your on your yeah. neck. I was just thinking. I heard the word laryngeal, and I immediately thought, okay, that, right. I remember what that word relates so to. So you yeah. can imagine what that would feel like to have somebody sort of digging around in there, and that's what this guy did. Dr. Jacob Lieberman, love this man. Mm. He is an osteopath and psychotherapist, which is a perfect combination for voice work. And mm. he would have us lie on these tables, and he would dig in there, like he would actually access your arytenoid cartilages, which are behind your thyroid cartilage, which is your Adam's apple, right? Like right. that's crazy but it was a great learning experience and my partner was a super sweet kind of kindergarten teacher type of person like like so so nice like I'm sure she never yelled anything her whole life like she was so 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 sweet right and uh, when I tried to find the space between her thyroid cartilage and her cricoid cartilage I couldn't find it like it was just like those two cartilages were stuck together and there was no separating them and I said Dr. Lieberman I can't find the space between her thyroid and cricoid cartilages and he said oh I'll take a look uh, just give me a second that's not how he talked but this is how she talked so he lays her down on the table as an example and he works on her he works on her for only about five minutes honestly and after about five we'll give him ten minutes after about ten minutes she sits up and he says okay we'll say you know the day is weak blah, blah, blah. and she says those words in a full big adult woman's voice rich tones <laughs> chest voice this little baby girl voice was gone right this, this woman was probably about 30 and all of a sudden she has a completely different voice than she did 10 minutes before and for the past 15 years, 20, 30 years, however long she's spoken like that. And so that's great. So he does that for her, but what's, what's the impact, right? <laughs> and so it's a three day workshop. She comes back the next day and she still has her big full voice, but she says, you know, I know that physiologically this is more where my voice should be but my boyfriend hates it and my mother hates it. Because they've spent so much time listening to her talk in the voice that she'd gotten into the habit of speaking to kindergartners. Yeah, well, and just her whole life. You know, if you're, if you're a guy and you fall in love with a woman who speaks like this, and then all of a sudden she talks like this, it says something about her. Right? There's a there's a there's a huge shift and that's what voice work does. And so I mean, I will say those are hugely transformational moments. And you don't get many of those in your I don't get many of those in my lifetime, but that is the mm. gist of what I do as far as like what's your habit? What have you done your whole life that's limiting you and your delivery? 
And is it still serving you well? So for her, maybe it is serving her well. But if you, you know, if you're going for for a powerful corporate position and you have this voice, I'm it's going to it's going to probably work against you, right? It's it's possible. It's not that it's going to like take you out of the game, but it might not show all you've got, right? It suggests something. So what is it about your delivery? What is it about the decisions that you've made? as you go along because we all make these decisions about our voices right if i'm down here all the time like i'm gonna give 110 percent take it one game at a time like this hockey player voice that's a decision that somebody's made this guy who talks like that in his interviews he's he's got more than that it's a physiological fact like he doesn't just have to stay there but he's chosen to stay there so are those decisions still serving you yeah and you you mentioned at one point and i bring this up because it's I feel like we covered a lot of sort of technical ground and I want to make sure that people that may not necessarily know so much about this area um, fully understand. For instance, you talked about, uh, I feel like a, the good one was like chest voice. Was it there's three different kinds of voice that we generally talk about? It's a loaded question, Andrew. Is it? Okay. Yeah, it kind of is yeah. because... But yes, but yes, I think the quick answer is absolutely yes. I think the simple good way to say it that is, yeah, there are three. There's there's head voice, and that's where this woman was. And then there's chest voice, which is honestly, to put a judgment on it, where most of me and my friends hang out. <laughs> and where you're hanging out. I think that's where most of us hang out, yeah. And then, and, th- and then there's fry. So like, this is mobile yeah. fry. And, uh, you know, you can hang out there. And, it, and a lot of young women do, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure it serves them well, but I'm I've passed the point of judgment because people get to be who they decide to be. But if it's not serving them well, I'm your girl and I can <laughs> no, I'm your gal. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, so those are the three registers that mm. are most commonly used because I've done these conferences and workshops with speech science scientists of the world, they would probably say, well, Really, you're going to put it down to three registers. Yeah, but I know, I know <laughs> this other speech paths listen to this. They're going to they'll be like, well, actually, <laughs> exactly. So, but I think I think it's it's easy enough to say, yeah, three registers. I just I just like people to have access to everything, right? I want you to be able to know what you've subconsciously or unconsciously decided about your voice and say, oh, you know what? I have room for more, and because I I think that that's also good for a body. Actually, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just imagine like talking like this all the time. Let's get. Yeah, I don't think I can do that. That would that would require a lot of effort to build a habit to use like a head voice all the time. Yeah, it it, it would, and and there can be tension associated with it. Like for you, I see you do that. You can do head. I could probably spend some time getting you into head voice with zero tension. But as you're trying to do it right there, yeah, there's tension, and that would kill you. Like there would be by the end of the day, you'd you're you'd be so tired right but it's also i will say easier than that so like there's an easy way to get to head voice and as you imagine like ah like a little lightness to it it's a it's a it's a good place to go like i think it's a nice way to start there's a good basic english intonation pattern that i teach and it's to jump high on an early important word and then gradually step down from there and the higher you go actually the more interesting it can sound to a person so if I'm just talking along like this and then all of a sudden I'll say well that's really interesting right and I'll go really high that high moment is a signal to my listener that there's something interesting right so you know if you're talking along like this and you realize everybody's like tuned out and say well I know right something that you don't know I know that and then this this little high note is inviting and it's a signal. Hey, there's something going on. Yeah, you're making vocal emphasis on that part of the sentence. Yeah, and and I'm and I when I do that, I often go quieter. That is also inviting. Like, oh, oh, she's telling us something new and interesting and kind of uh, maybe even secret. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll have a drink now. It's it's almost melted Cheers. enough. Cheers. Doesn't... Yeah. No, it's perfect. I don't put a whole lot of ice in mine. I had a. I have one of those lovely little ice balls for a drink of this size. Perfect amount of ice. Hey, so can I ask you a question? Sure. When you're asked what you do, do you say I'm a writer? Yes, 
but usually with a lot more attached to that. When you say it's like, I'm a writer, that reminds me of the way that I talked about, I introduced myself when I was first starting out, which is now a few years back. Two things that I found that, one, I tend to be a lot more specific about what kind of writing I do. That is the literal explanation what I do of what I do. And in writing is, I don't know if we call it a maximum in copywriting at this point, but it's, it's the concept of leading with your benefit. Don't just tell people mm. what it is that you do. Tell people, this is the, the benefit. This is the value that I bring. So what's your benefit? So rather than saying, hi, I'm a writer, it's, hi, I help businesses deliver a message that's more accessible and more accessible and more, I don't know, inviting. Like one of the things that, that I like working with, with clients was trying to find out how, not just how they're, the kind of customer that they're after talks, but also how they think. And then tailor the language that create for them around that understanding. What conversation is already happening in the head of the of the kind of person that you want to work with? That's what you're aiming for. So here's how I see what you're saying. Because now I put everything into my Venn diagram. Right. And so you are. I my guess was as a writer, as yeah, we'll say as a writer. Your focus is the message. As a speech pathologist, I came to this communication game, right? We're both in communication, right? That's a, this is what we do. We help people communicate, right? And so I came, my front and center in this venture was the speaker. As a speech pathologist, I know how it's coming out, right? I know how it should come out, right? So this is my focus. Your focus has been traditionally the message, what are the actual words, right? What's the notion, what are the words? But your expertise, I think, is that you're getting inside the listener's head, right? I, I think I think that's a great way of, of thinking about it. Right, that's the, that's the message, kind of in a way, right? Like the, to me, the what, are you, what do you have to say is the message. Right, what's happening on the other right. side. Right, so you wanna know how they talk, how, they're, how the, the receiver will say, like, the listener has so many names for me, right? But but I would say it's in this, it could be audience, listener, voter, ideal client, stakeholder, student, taker, learner, follower, constituent, base, uh, all those things, right? Depending on if you're in the world of politics or business, right? It's the person that you're trying to reach, right? And so your words said you're trying to figure out how they talk and how they think so that the words of the message, how it's going to connect, right? How you're going to connect to what they know. Because all that, all, that, all that communication is forming connections, right? And so here it is. You came at this game as a writer and you're, you're branching out and, and becoming more of an expert in how that interacts with the listener or the receiver or the client or the customer or whatever that makes a lot of sense we're gonna do a, a short break at this point and we're back uh with mary Hool talking about venn diagrams <laughs> and the wonders of the human voice okay that's great yes so the venn diagram mm -hmm. it's good so far right it works. Yes. Yeah. That make that makes tons of sense to me. Uh, if you if you actually have a visual of it, I could probably post it along with the podcast episode when we're the done. The other thing about the Venn diagram, so I this has been a fun rabbit hole for me, is I also think that if we go back to the art of persuasion, mm -hmm. as per Aristotle, it applies mm -hmm. here because I see that focus on the audience as being connected to. Um, I, I mean, this might be a bit of a stretch, but I, I'm still I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the stretch. Um, the the audience or the listener, right? That circle I think is brightest when they are like fully open to hearing your message, and also when they really care, like they whereas an actual care about your message, which is connected to emotion, which therefore is ethos. I think the message is the logic. Right? That's, that's a no-brainer, 
right? So the Lagos or Logos. I'm not actually sure how you pronounce that. And when I look it up, it looks like you can pronounce it both ways. So I was, I was taught Logos and I did, I did political theory. We're going to go with so, Logos. Yeah. I like it. And then what about, yeah. So Logos to me is the message, right? That's, that's your wheelhouse. Is that how they say it? How the cool kids say it? I think it? so. Yeah. Let's just do that. Although it occurred to me, somebody pointed out the other day that nobody really knows what a wheelhouse is I don't is know anymore. what it is. Yeah, but I'm like halfway was, through this rye, so those words come. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but to me, that's it. Like you're, of, of course, you dabble in the other areas, right? But ultimately, mm-hmm. what you're writing has to have the logic, has to have the argument, has to be persuasive in itself, right? Those words. Mm-hmm. That so that's the the logos, and then this is the part that I took me a while to figure out. But to me, the speaker. There are layers within the speaker, but all of them to me come down to trust. And it's from a voice therapy or a voice coaching perspective, that's huge. Like I can hear in a second and we all can, right? There are voices just reveal so much about mm-hmm. a person, right? And a ton of it is in the intonation, but a lot of it is also just in the voice. Like if you have a really relaxed, open voice, well, you know, I kind of like, I, I, I do, I trust you more. I honestly, I trust you more. Like, so, I mean, whenever I hear somebody who's in finance, this is what I think a finance voice sounds like. They're always really kind of strangled. So like the doubt is down seven points today or something like that. Like there's a, there's a pressedness. Whenever I hear a pressed voice, I'm like, oh, that's a finance specialist on the radio. And I'm almost oh. always right. So I'm not going to be able to listen to the radio. I'm not going to be able to hear. I'm going to hear that now every time. Welcome to my around. world, Andrew. Oh no. Uh, but to me, there's so much of trust in in the delivery. This is what a speak. This is the the one job to me that a speaker has is to seem trustworthy. The late Jack Layton was interesting to me because people loved him, but I always thought that he sort of sounded like his voice was uh, putting him in a in a too big for his britches kind of place. Like it's, it just was slightly deeper than naturally it probably would have been which just made me trust him less like I sort of was like used car salesman kind of feeling like and I think he was a genuine person I don't know I didn't write him but but his delivery was just a little bit sort of what's the word contrived right that to me that's not your that's not your body's voice actually you're putting it on for the masses so that they can trust you but it doesn't sound trustworthy so that's where I think there's room for um, my work in in that in that world of persuasion. I look at it as those three things. Of course, if you want to persuade, then you need logos. Would you say ethos or ethos? Ethos. I don't actually know. Let's go with ethos because I think that's the way that people, it's common. That's the way I've often heard. It's common. It. I don't anyway. know if it's correct. Yeah. So I think it's all connected. So that's where my Venn diagram also goes to the next level. Yeah, that's. I think it works. Well, I, I'll keep testing it in different scenarios. So to bring this back to to the work that you do, which is really focused on showing like this is the the genuine voice mm-hmm. that you yeah. want people to communicate yeah. with. Rather than, rather than the one that you feel that you have to or the one that your kindergarten teacher spent, probably spent years perfecting it. No, 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 no. I mean, but who knows? Like, she didn't have to perfect it. She just did it, right? Like, right. We, we, we can do all these different voices. But to me, yeah, I just want to find... It's all about truth and honesty. That's everything I do is like, wh- let's get down to it. Like, what are you trying to say? What is this about? Half the time I spend with people on their presentations or their speeches or their pitches, it's just, I mean, the same as you. It's digging down to the nuts and bolts of it in a plain language way. And I love that exercise because I I get to learn so much from all of my clients, right? So my my one trick when I was actually physically at the hub... um, and I would welcome them into the office and I would have my iPad there and it would just be recording and I'd be like, okay, great, so nice to meet you or how's it going, nice to see you again and then you're doing a presentation, what's it about? 
So before they even start officially practicing their presentation, I just say, mm -hmm. what's it about? And I record that because that sentence that they say next is often nowhere in their presentation, but it should be the beginning of their presentation. Because it's the simple, plain language explanation that summarizes what this is all about. And in their own words. But yeah, so so you're, you say it's the plain language, I don't know how you said it, but... Plain, the plain English explanation. The plain English explanation. Yeah. But then my addition onto that, knowing that my focus in this Venn diagram is from the speaker's perspective, mm -hmm. it's that plain English explanation in their own words, in words that they use. And that's right. the joy of it, right? And that's the joy of getting that down rewinding it, listening to it again, writing those words down and have them say it a few times. So then that's easily acceptable. So that's the speech pathology part of it where it's like, but you know what? We're going to create new muscle memory pathways. We're going to create new neural pathways so that the next time you're asked to do this presentation, you know what it's about. You say that often throughout the presentation because you've created a pathway that's easy to say it. And that way, you're gonna go there as your default, it doesn't take effort, and that key message is repeated, <laughs> and that's what listeners need. This is really cool because it's, I don't usually end up ever having to talk to clients about like the way that they speak, but so much of what you're talking about, I think really closely parallels exactly what it is that we do. It's just that we do it in print, and you do it with people's voices. Exactly. Exactly. It's communication. It's called human communication. This is what we do. We do human communication. So I guess for, for the listeners here, how long have you been doing this work for now? Like as, cause you did speech pathology or speech therapy, but becoming like you're mm. your own, you're, you're, you're your own boss now. How, when did that happen? It's been a part of what I do for 25 years actually, but cause I didn't last very long as a full-time school board kind of speech pathologist. That wasn't my thing. Right. So I, I, I didn't last too long. I, I knew I couldn't do that. That wasn't, mm. I like my kids. <laughs> I'm not like a person who should work full time with kids. I was fine, but I was, it wasn't my heart's work. So I quickly started to do part-time work outside of that, working with smart professionals. That was my side gig, always my side gig. So I've done that since 96, 98 maybe, so a couple years. My first client on my own like that though, was when we first moved here. Yeah, I ha I've had fabulous clients and some of them groups and also do lots of work with immigrant associations and organizations just to get that essential communication down. That's really fun work, it's super satisfying. Um, it doesn't pay a ton, so that's why I have the high-end clients, so that I can do this other work that I feel is more service provider. But in many ways, it's essentially, it's the same kind of work. It's almost to two different audiences. There are the people that are working to, I guess, integrate into Canada and then the people that are looking to get that little bit of an edge when they're they're on that Zoom call with their next prospective client. Yeah, this is all human communication. So wherever you're at, that's where I'm gonna get you one level up. That's my job. So if it's just at the essential clarity level, I'll figure out what's going wrong and get you there. Then enrichment and then enhancement. So those are the three levels and people move up. <laughs> That's that's my job. It's always get people to move up, but it's all based in honesty. Like that's, I mean, I know that sounds cliche or or trite, but I'm very uncomfortable with the word persuasion. Actually, I feel like there's a uh, almost a I don't know. What do you think of the word persuasion? When I usually think of persuasion, there's a really great radio show. I think it might be still you, Terry O'Reilly's The Art of Persuasion. Yeah, I love Terry O'Reilly. I was just oh, trying to think. I was trying to think of the guy's name. I remember listening to that was when I was a teenager, and I think he's still. Yeah, he has another show, but I've forgotten the name of it. But yeah, Art of Persuasion was his first one. That was so good. But that was about ads, right? And I, I remember listening to that and, and like really enjoying that. And that was long before I decided I knew that I was going to end up working in marketing. 
I think that his second show has the word influence in it. I know, I want to say under the influence. Terry O'Reilly, if you ever hear this. Thank you, you do great radio. Great radio. He even, you know what, he's fascinating in that sense. He, uh, remember when they auditioning people to be the replacement for, maybe it was Q, I think it was Q, but Terry O'Reilly auditioned for that. And it was fascinating because his voice was different. The voice that he used in his show had this playfulness to it. And then when he was doing his days of auditioning, everything was just a little bit flatter. His highs and lows are so obvious in his show. Like he'll go up really high at the beginning and then end low, which is a really good pattern. And he did that, he does that all the time in his show. But in his interviews, everything was just a little flatter. And he didn't have that energy. And who did they end up with? They ended up with Shad first, and then now it's Tom Power. Yeah, I never knew about that. I'm gonna probably gonna have to look, to go and look. Yeah, up. well, they just did days. Like they gave them a week or something each. And stressful. Can you imagine? That'd be so stressful. That's really cool. Well, yeah, and the other thing being like, if you've only got it like a day, that probably doesn't give you a whole lot of prep time too. Knowing, like, almost a bit like knowing what it is that you really, that you're. Oh, yeah. Well, we shouldn't talk about CBC because I will never stop. I imagine this must be the way for other people in other countries listening to the radio of their of their home country. But there's always some very distinct voices that you think of when you when you think of like, especially like the radio that you grew up with. I remember that voice. I know it. Voices and characters that were everywhere and you just like you knew them on sound you didn't can you name one them to tell you who they were the one that actually really comes to mind was i don't know where she's at now but barbara budd who was one of the hosts of as it happens mary lou finley and barbara budd mary lou finley and barbara budd for those of you not familiar with canadian radio was it was this radio show in like early to mid evening and i didn't start listening to cbc till i got my first job on the reserve in northern bc as a Full first year speech pathologist. My parents didn't listen to it. Really? My parents didn't listen to CBC. We listened to the local private radio station or the police scanner. That's where I grew up. We listened to the police scanner. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, that, that 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 took a turn. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You always knew it was a small town. You get to know what's going on. There's a fire at Southwinds. Oh, let's go see. Yeah. <laughs> Nope, not something I'm That's where I come with. from. I am from good working class roots, and it serves me well, I will say that. In the world of communication, having working class roots is uh, definitely a gift. And they were the people that you ended up working with for a lot of your professional life. Yeah, and politicians can be that. I think that good politicians come from the working class too, if they manage to pull themselves out of there. I mean, I, there's, and we don't talk about class in Canada very much, but I, I'm pretty interested in it and uh, I think that there is a language <laughs> and for example our Prime Minister does not speak working class very well for the life of him he can't sound like a normal person and I I'm not saying he's not he's doing a good job or a bad job but when he speaks he aspirates his word medial T's so he'll say something like we can do better I mean and for your UK listeners that sounds not bad for a Canadian if you're saying better you're putting on airs that is not how the normal person says better here we say better and if you say better you're trying to be fancy it's like the Canadian equivalent of perceived hmm. pronunciation and we, the we other thing really I heard that. him say once which is just I can't get out of my head he said we are we are having conversations with different interlocutors to a group of steel workers Andrew like I'm thinking any steel worker that I've known isn't going to really hold their arms out in openness to somebody who says interlocutors. Nobody says it. Nobody says it in everyday speech. This is it. He doesn't use everyday speech. And he had a privilege growing up. That's, that's, I don't know. I don't mean to pick on him because I actually think that he's doing the best he can. I think that he's not a naturally good word finder. I suspect that he struggles to find words and that's stressful and so he does most of his stuff as a reading out loud instead of speaking off the cuff and I get that I'm I'm not very good at that either we can have a conversation and I can work around words but if I if if the pressure's on and I have to find a word that's that's tricky word finding is hard for me some people are better at it he's not especially good at it so he can't ad-lib 
yeah, definitely we all have our we all yeah, have and, struggles. And unfortunately, if you're the Prime Minister of Canada, your word struggles are on display. Uh, speaking moistly, for example. <laughs> I remember that. What was that from? Uh, addresses to the nation during the beginning of the first 30 days of COVID. He said something about, yeah, you don't want to be speaking moistly. But it was it was lovely. It was great. It was human. And he laughed at himself. He says, like, he stops mid-sentence. He's just like, that's a terrible image. And it's like, oh, you're human in there. I loved it. I think that it's... I've heard actually like I want to say like the last week of people talking about like how to like humanize your communication especially in like the in like the business space sometimes little trip ups in your speech can do a lot to make you relatable to the people unreservedly yes 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 a thousand times yes the cost to sounding perfect (laughs) is really big if you're gonna go off the cuff, you're gonna make mistakes, but it's worth the cost. That is worth, that connection that you make is worth any little bit that in that presentation you might have forgotten. Because they're gonna come away remembering one or two things tops, but they're also gonna come away with a feeling about you, regardless of what you say. And if you speak as if it's from your actual mind in the actual moment, it's priceless. It's worth so much. Mm-hmm. And and I would argue that's what the trust is. Then I'll trust you. If everything comes out perfectly, it's canned. Somebody else could have written it. I don't believe you. All I need to do is believe you. And to get there, well, yeah, you have to have some stumbles. You have to have some false starts, some stutters even. That's, that's beautiful. People really get caught up in how what their fillers are uhs and ums who cares who cares unless it's really distracting it shows me that you're coming up with a, a novel sentence in the moment that means that you actually care about me and my receiving of your message that's beautiful if you have any concerns about fillers i invite you to do one thing get comfortable with silence and instead of trying to fill every moment with your voice get comfortable with silence think about what you're saying next and let there be spaces between it then you have no need for fillers and that sounds good it sounds genuine it sounds connected to the listener one last question before you go what's in the future what would you like to be where where would you like to go from here I want to I don't care where I do this but what I want to do is help the world's good people deliver great messages and I this is the thing I can help I have I've had clients who I helped and like afterwards I'm like oh I don't really need that person to get ahead in life So if you're a good person, has a good message, and wants to make the world better, I would love to help. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, I'll leave your contact details in the notes of this podcast. And thank you all for listening. See you next episode. Bye. Bye.